Hello and welcome again to another Kinsey Ag Podcast. I'm Kyle Long here with Neil Kinsey. And today we're going to be talking about the importance of soil testing. And I kind of want to go over just the, the basics of soil testing and why it's important to explain to growers, you know, what we're trying to do. Whenever I think of uh, soil testing and the value that it has, First things that come to my mind, you know, first you got to ask yourself, you know, what are you, what are you even sampling for? People ask, you know, what, what value do you have? Why do you put so much emphasis on a soil test? And there's, there's a variety of reasons, but whenever I think of what it is, it's determining the nutrient levels in the soil, you know, because you can't m- manage what you can't measure. You could be causing harm by overdoing some sort of nutrient. And then we have the law of the minimum, law of the maximum, where we, if we don't measure what's in there, then how do we know what interactions are taking place in there and what our soil health is going to be? Soil is the growing medium, the, the home for the biology, home for the plant roots. So we need to make sure that we, we care about those and how we do that. We will get into a little bit later. All soils are also different, you know, not all sandy soils are a certain exchange capacity, not all clay soils are a certain exchange capacity, even though you go out there and look at a soil and you're like, oh, this looks like a sand. Okay, well, how sandy is that? You won't know that until you actually test it and find out because a sand with an exchange of seven looks kind of like a, or a lot like a exchange of three two or three mm-hmm. even and sure can those have much different holding capacities and it takes only a little bit to change something a lot or make a big difference in in changing those so it's critical in sandy conditions to get a soil test and clay soils just to have a baseline of what you're doing and what you're trying to do there is a lot more nutrient reservoir there in a well, clay there, soil there is but also uh, when you start looking at a clay soil if you're short on something it's going to hurt you no matter uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, to me, you look at a soil test to find out, are we using enough? Uh, are we using too little? Are we using too much? Yeah, and also, you know, with those, like, even the soil type, I like the example of uh, even in the same field, you can have those different exchange sites, too. And you might be throwing on something because you're like, oh, the majority of this is, you know, I, I do one fixed rate of uh, application. But you have a sand ridge going through it, but around us even, like, it goes from clay to sand really quick. It goes from 40 TEC to 2, and I've seen that in one singular field. I was pulling samples, and all of a sudden, my probe basically went down, like, 10, 12 inches, and I was like, whoa, there's something different here. And I pulled it separately, and it was a 2 exchange and a typical 40 exchange because we're on the New Madrid Fault, where they had the big earthquake, and right along the Mississippi River, uh, there are 40-acre fields that may have two or three uh, just sand boils out there, and maybe they're big enough to sample and treat separately, maybe not. If they're not big enough, just stay out of them. But we'll talk about that more when we're talking about uh, how to soil sample. Why the soil sample is a little bit different. Yeah. But one of the things, uh, you know, when you ask, uh, why do you soil sample? Yeah, you said you can't manage what you can't measure. But a lot of people just don't trust the soil test. They say, well, you know, I've done this, I've done that. I, I remember one old fellow came up to me and he said, well, I appreciate what you had to say tonight. But uh, he said, I just don't know what to think about soil tests because uh, years and years ago, I was digging a post hole. And he said, 
We had a lot of pasture, and every place we took soil samples, they told us we needed two tons of lime. And I thought, well, I'm four feet down in this old yellow clay. How much lime is it going to take down here? And he said, I sent it in, got it back in, said it took two tons too. So he said, from then on, I didn't even go out and pull soil samples. The government was paying for it. And he said, you had to turn in a soil sample every two years. But he said, I just kept a bucket of dirt. And I'd just stick in a whole bunch, you know, stick in what it looked like for each field and send it in. They'd say, oh, you need two tons of lime. He said, didn't change one way or the other. Right. <laughs> so there, there is such a thing as, number one, before you say, well, soil tests are you know, good or not, what we tell people, you need to build your trust in the sample. And that is find out. Uh, we, well, you and I both say test your soil tester. And that's how you test it. See whether or not somebody can pick out the good from the bad. And I'm talking about not, it's easy enough if you see, well, oh, we got sand here and clay here and we don't get much rain and have to, you know, the, the sand is not going to hold as much water if you're relying on rainfall. Well, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a field that's basically the same, all sand or all clay or whatever, and parts of it don't do good and parts of it do well. Uh, can you pick those out from a soil test? If you can't pick those out from a soil test, then uh, what I say is the soil test is not doing what it's supposed to do. That soil test is supposed to tell you what you need to do in order to make that part of the field do its best or help that part of the field do its best. Uh, Sometimes you, you, uh, it takes years to get it to where it will do its absolute best. Yeah, and you can gain some answers that are not even apparent just by scouting a field. If you're looking out scouting a field and then you see some issues out there, uh, you know, oh, well, I don't really know what it is. It's just a bad spot. If you don't test it, then how are you going to figure out what that is? Because generally I, we find that it's a nutritional issue uh, rather than anything else. But if you have yield differentials, then it probably needs to be treated separately or there's just a general lack of fertility or ex excess of fertility in a certain issue. So that's why it's also important to me to, to do that. Because if you scout a deficiency in the field, we can accurately identify that and then rectify it soon after. But if there's a severe deficiency, that's the only time that anything shows up. I like to think about it like a human body. If we're severely malnourished, then we start getting really, really sick. But we actually have the ability to say, ooh, I'm hungry. The plant doesn't. So whenever it starts showing these deficiencies, it's already almost too late. And so you can catch these things early and be able to rectify those before you really start having an issue out in the field, too. Yeah, it's true. By the time you can see a deficiency, it's already hurt you. Now, you might be able to make up some difference because of what you see. But the other part of that is any difference you see in a field, most of the time will have some kind of difference in terms of nutrient makeup. I'm not saying every time because that's not so. But when you can see a different color, I remember a farmer came to a meeting and he came up after and he said, I just get so many different kind of conflicting answers on soil tests. So he said, uh, but I am going to sign up one of my farms with you. Well, when I got there, he wanted to go with me. Well, used to, I made it a practice. I'd say, you can go along, but you got to take your own pickup. Because most of the time they figure, well, we're going to be done with the farm in an hour. 
and instead of being done with the farm in an hour, we might be done with the field in an hour because of how, how, how closely we sample. So we get out there and start going through this field. And it was a 40-acre field. On that 40 acres, I took five samples. He said, I never thought about that before. But he said, you know, when I came out, I thought, well, you want an average. So he said, I took some of that red over there, and then I took some of the black, and then I took some of the brown, and I just put it all in one bag. But he said, sometimes it might take three out of the red, and other times it might only take two out of it. And he said, no wonder the numbers came back different on my test, because we were talking about it as we went along. It, he, he thought a good sample is mixing everything together. No, a good sample is making sure if, it's, if you see differences, make sure that there's no big difference in terms of fertility before you mix them all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have different uh, parental materials in that soil that you don't even notice all within the same field. So, And for one thing, if it's a different color, you're probably going to have different uh, amounts of exchange capacity, amounts of electrical charge. Not always, but most of the time, uh, there will be a difference. And you can generally see that, too, by whenever you pull that core, if you're just pulling a soil sample just to pull a soil sample, then to me, you're not really doing it correctly or doing the test justice. I look at every core that I pull, and I kind of determine, okay, is that larger particles than what I saw, than what I'm seeing generally? And if it is, then you got to put it in a separate bag or just stay out of that spot. The consistency is the key there, and generally your sandier grains are going to be a little bit, or the biggest particle size. Then you have your silt that's a little bit smaller, like more flowery, and then you have your clay particles. If it's heavy clay, it's just like modeling clay. You run your finger across it, it just sticks, especially if there's moisture in it. Generally, you can see, uh, you know, the kind of in the profile if, if something's changing. If you're going along pulling samples and all of a sudden it's a different color, it's a different consistency, it's stickier, it's uh, drier, it's whatever, uh, then good idea to think, do I want to put that in there with all those other uh, probes of soil? And that's the other part. Uh, In pulling a soil sample, we like to get several probes and make a composite sample out of it. And again, we'll talk about that when we talk about how should you pull soil samples on another episode. But... The, the other thing, you touched on it, but another reason to use soil testing is to monitor your fields and their fertility, not just a matter of getting an idea, oh, what do I have to do, but get an idea also, what I'm doing to these fields, is it really making a difference? Am I making them better? Am I keeping them where they ought to be, or am I going backward? And we'll have people that are thinking they're putting on all they need to put on and find out. If you start monitoring, their levels are slowly over time dropping, and it's sometimes so easy it slips up on you. You just don't realize what's happening. So, yes, uh, soil testing is good to get you started, but soil testing is, is can, should be used to keep you on track. Mm-hmm. If you have adequate fertility, you can raise a good crop. That's what I tell every client. Somebody say, can I leave off fertilizer? Well, if you have enough of everything, yeah, you sure can. You can raise a good crop. But how do you know where that number is? The only way you're going to know is by either your experience from seeing, well, when I have this number, it doesn't hurt, or having somebody come in and help you, like uh, uh, getting some consultant that you can trust. Mm. But if you have adequate fertility, you can make a crop without applying fertilizer. And I have clients that we've done that. But when you start to do that, need to consider a few points first. How much is enough? And what is the test you use designed to do? Some tests are not really designed 
to tell you what you need. They're only designed to say, well, here's a soil test, so put on what the crop needs. And that's really not a soil test. That's an excuse to use fertilizer. But uh, how much is enough? And what's the right test to use in order to find out? Well, just for example, phosphorus. There's several different ways to run a phosphate test. But there's also several different ways to report it. For example, we'll tell a client uh, with a medium to heavy soil, well, you need at least 300 pounds P2O5 per acre. You got that? Then worry about everything else before you start putting some more phosphate on them. People, oh, it's not available. It's not available. If you're using the soil test that tests true availability and got a 300 there, then unless you're doing something to mess it up, like putting on a huge amount of sulfur or like... Uh, planting in extreme cool conditions so that the plant roots can't get out there and pick it up fast enough. I mean, then you better put a little bit there close that's real water soluble. Yeah, and we're, we're looking at uh, phosphate too, especially if you're down into that like 100 range. You said, uh, oh, you don't put on a lot of sulfur if you have a low phosphate, but why is that? That's because sulfur and phosphate are antagonistic to each other or synergetic as well, can be. And then zinc also, you know, that phosphate's a big one that interacts with other nutrients in that soil profile. And so we need to be consciously aware of what we're doing with that. But that, that's kind of more of a nutrient interaction uh, for a nutrient interaction episode rather than uh, what we're doing. But just to clarify that. Well, the other part is in terms of that on a soil test. People look at the soil test. Sometimes they see those numbers. It scares them to death. 300. I've only got 30. Well, uh, which number is it that you're reporting? Is it P205? Is it elemental phosphorus in pounds per acre? Or is it elemental phosphorus in parts per million? And what are we looking at on our specific soil test? On our specific soil test, we're looking at P205. That's, and a farmer may say, well, what's P205? Or a grower may say that, or whoever interested. Well, P205 is the way phosphorus is expressed by the fertilizer companies in the U.S. If you say, I'm buying 0460, well, that 46 is P205. If you say, I'm buying 11520, that 52 is P205. Now, most soil tests don't express it as P205. They express it as either elemental P in pounds per acre or elemental P in parts per million. That 300 P205 if you uh, look at it in terms of elemental P, it's 130. If you look at it in terms of parts per million of elemental P, it's 65 parts per million. So 65 parts per million on some tests is equivalent to our 300 pounds of P205. You just take parts per million times 2 times 2.3, that gives you P205. Kind of going off topic, but uh, while we're on phosphorus, is that Bray P1, P2, or what? Well, this is the other thing. I, I don't really think this is part of the topic for soil, a soil test. And Everybody is, asks you that, yeah. you know. But like, here's the, here's the there, there's one other thing I wanted to be sure and even note there. On that P205 that we're using, it's Bray P2. P, uh, Bray P1 is water-soluble test, and water-soluble test really doesn't tell you how much phosphorus a plant can pick up in that soil. Dr. Albrecht used to always stress, you don't just want to know water-soluble phosphate. If you get a P1, that's all you're measuring. What you want to know is how much phosphorus is there that is in a form the plant can pick up. And, how, and what does a plant pick up? Water-soluble, yes, but they also put out root exudates that will bring in more than just water-soluble phosphorus. 
that's why we use the tests that we do. And you can even test that. And maybe I shouldn't go on too far here. But you can even test that in that if you put on soft rock phosphate and you're using a, a, a test that doesn't really measure true P2O5, it'll show you did nothing. Whereas if you put on 500 pounds of soft rock and it's really measuring P2O5, in about 12 months from then, that number should go up by 100 pounds per acre. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. We get down a rabbit hole sometimes oh, no, we, and get off the off topic. No. We, <laughs> well, we I, can do that with phosphate. It doesn't matter. I, I want, uh, okay, wanna, you can. I do want to mention one other thing, and that is in terms of soil tests. Uh-huh. And that is we here use, uh, we use actually the Bray P2, which we call water uh, nutrient available phosphate. Root acid. Yeah, root, root acid available phosphates. But we, if the pH is above, uh, seven five, then we use the Olson test. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of we get tremendous amounts of samples from New Zealand. Over there, they use the Olson test. Period. That's what they use on their tests, even on low pH soils. Well, in New Zealand, we have trouble getting people to quit putting phosphate on. Even all the soil tests shows there's lots of oh, we can't trust that. We got to put on more phosphorus. Then you go over into Australia. They have severe phosphate deficiencies on so many soils, they have trouble getting those guys to put anything on. Uh, it, it, it's just a matter of who trusts what the soil test said. And most of the time, farmers are not taught to trust phosphorus on a soil test. If, it's a whole lot easier to sell people phosphorus if you don't trust what's on there. Mm-hmm. So soil tests ought to tell you what's there and what's available. One of, one of the other things uh, that I wanted to examine uh-huh. how do you know when your soil getting better or worse how do you know that yields well, go you can, up you can look at it <laughs> yield go up or yields go down well maybe so but soil get worse before yield go down you can monitor those numbers and what i tell clients is once you get started at least pick key areas and monitor those every year the areas that you really want to make sure they're doing what they what they can do monitor them every year if you start seeing your levels go up you can say well that's a place we could cut back a little bit as long as you still already have adequate amount but if you start seeing them drop and that's the critical point so many farmers start to see their levels i mean if they were watching would see their levels drop but they're not watching close enough how you know that if you just check every three or four years you don't really know oh well it's a little less than it was but is that is that because of just where we pull the sample or something? But if you see a consistent slide over years, it's time to do something. And as yields go up, the need goes up. And we've had clients, oh, well, I've always, I've always put that on. I've always made it. But, yeah, but how much more yield are you making now than you were making back when you started doing that? Whenever I think of... Whenever I think of that, it I just always think about the need for nutrition in the soil and the the structure basically. Like that's what we're promoting. That's where we kind of vary from a lot of different ways of thinking and why the soil test is so important to us because to us it's the foundation. You know, it's it's everything is built upon that. Yeah. It's our it's our ground floor. And then everything else can be built on top of that because to what I think of, I think there's so much potential in a lot of these different ways of thinking, especially like even fertigation and things like that. But if you don't have a roof on the house you know, how, uh, or something to catch that, then 
what what good is it doing? You're just wasting your money. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to feed that biology, promote good rooting structure by maintaining this proper structure, building into this proper structure. Without this, uh, you know, I think of you know, what do we need to survive? We need air and water. And what are we doing? We're, we're focusing on our calcium magnesium to help build this proper structure. And we have to test that accurately or else we're of no benefit in that regard either. And so if we have an accurate soil test, we can give the accurate results and help build that proper structure. Well, to me, the calcium magnesium side is one of the reasons farmers really do need help in terms of taking a look at soil test, but for every farmer, they can start using soil tests themselves and look at where their phosphorus and potassium and sulfur levels are going, where they've been in the past and where they're going, especially if you've got comparisons from one year to the next to the next. Now, you can make it every two years, but it's going to be a whole lot harder to decide because it's going to take you a lot more years. But the, the, there's another point that I want to make here, and that is Today, a lot of people are being told, oh, you don't need fertilizer. And here's one way to tell. And that is, what, what I'd say, every farmer, once he gets used to looking at it, he can say, well, okay, am I still making a good crop? And is the level staying up where it's supposed to? Or as you're making a good crop, are those levels actually dropping? And, and then knowing how far can they drop before... I'm really going to lose yield instead of gain yield. And I've heard people say, oh, as long as you got uh, the biology of the soil there, you don't need fertilizer. If you got plenty of each one of the nutrients there, you don't. But as soon as that nutrient starts to drop so that it gets down to where that's the critical one, now you can't stand losing that or else it's going to hurt you. Yeah, and what helps determine that nutrient availability, for one, it's soil type, obviously, and people are looking at that, but if you don't have the correct pore space, then you're either losing it or it's not actually getting down in there. And that's kind of the, the basic understanding of what I think people need to understand is the basic principle is, you know, okay, if you, if you're, you have too tight of a soil, you're not getting any infiltration in there. If you have too open or your pore space is too open you have too much pore space you're losing everything before your primary feeder roots can get to it you know it gets leached down into a spot where microbiology can't help convert it fast enough and the plant root the plants want to take nutrients from that top two inches that organic layer where the primary biology is like the primary massive biology is and if they can't they will do what they have to to survive, and they will probably take from some of those anaerobic conditions or those that transition layer in there, but it's not preferred because it's, it's already kind of becoming, I think, tainted with different kinds of oxidation and stuff that's going down. The further it goes down into that layer, uh, down into that anaerobic layer, the, the harder it is for that plant to be able to take it up because it's not being converted by that biology or... It's leached down too far. Well, yes, uh, I'm, I'm sure the deeper you go, the harder it is for the plant to get what it needs. But the other part of that is, what does the plant do? It just keeps pulling water to try to get the nutrients out of it. And if the nutrient's not there, if, if, to the extent that we can measure and say a nutrient isn't there, that's, what's, that's the thing that's going to be hurting us the most. Uh, the other part of that, when you were talking about looking at the tests and so forth what you were basically saying is 
we're using chemistry. That's the soil test. We're measuring the chemistry of that soil to determine the physical structure. When you look at what an ideal soil is and look at how much air and how much water and how much uh, plant uh, humus content and minerals are there, uh, we're looking at a physical structure. But we use the chemistry to tell us if we have the proper physical structure, which then once we have that, which means we got enough nutrients, air and water, that's what's going to feed the biology in that soil. Otherwise, we're starving the we're starving the life of the soil. Mm -hmm. to, me, that's, to me, that's an important thing to look at. What is the soil test? It's using chemistry to tell us the physical structure, and that's what tells us whether or not we've got the, the four requirements of life for the biology. That's shelter and food and water and air. Mm -hmm. And... What we're looking for in a optimum soil is what? 45% mineral, 25% air, 25% water, and roughly 5% humus. humus. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah hopefully. But yeah. yes, that's what we're looking for. But when you get a big rain, you don't have it. Mm -hmm. but, but the thing about it is when you get that big rain, you get all that water in there. Now we got less air and more water. But as long as we've got the proper structure there, it can bounce back faster. So that's the key. We're not ever going to have, oh, it's perfect all the time. But when we have the porosity that's there, then the air and water can balance out much better again. So that's the thing that a lot of people don't really consider. We're not just using a soil test to say, well, how much NPK do we need to buy? We're using that soil test to say, how do we get this soil in shape so that everything that's got to live there to support the plant root is going to have what it needs as well as the crop we're trying to grow. You mean there's more to life than MPK and pH? <laughs> well, there's more to feed, there's more to uh, grow, to uh, a farmer farming a land than feeding the crop, because uh, depending on which which person's uh, uh, figures you take, uh, one study done in 1995 showed that there's about 6,000 pounds of organisms in the aerobic zone as deep as a fence post rod, 6,000 pounds of organism that's got to eat at the same time we're trying to grow a crop. Uh, that's not one cow. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's more like one elephant. Yeah. <laughs> and some people say, oh, there's a whole lot more than that in a real healthy soil, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would make sense. If you build the house, they will come, you know. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> uh, if you Depends on how good that house is, you know. <laughs> Yeah, if if you have a house to come to and got something there for, to eat, I think uh, that makes a big difference. Yeah, I I mean, I always wonder about that though too. If you have a I mean, if you're building the proper structure, uh we don't currently measure any biology or the availability of biology or, you know, what amounts there, uh at least predatory or beneficial, I think. But whenever we look at uh biodiversity or just biology in general, the amount that's there, I always am left wondering if there is an increase in biology, the better structure that we have, because we do have that proper air and water for them to want to go to. That's their preferred environment. And if we have a poor soil, we don't have as much biological pressure there uh, because their their aerobic zones tighter there's not as much air for them to survive and so they just kind of go dormant and aren't 
aren't really utilized fully. At least we don't have much as much as many workers as we'd have if we had the right. ideal conditions. Exactly. But uh, the the before we get off from the uh, another rabbit hole, yeah. <laughs> uh, before we yeah before we get off this, uh, I mentioned earlier that you can grow crops if you have fertility without fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So you can grow crop without fertilizer, but you can't grow crop without fertility. I had uh, one client that had three big farms, and on those three farms, they were, they were quite different, but. He said, he said, Neil, I tell, you tell me if we have enough fertility here. Well, on one farm, he didn't. And we had to, we, we could rarely ever skip a year or else the nutrient level was going to go down. But he had one farm. I said, no, not only is it that you don't need any fertilizer, you've got too much. It's hurting your yields. By putting on, on more P and K, specifically phosphorus and potassium. I said, that's making your yields go down. Well, at first he thought about that. This guy had a PhD in agriculture. And he, he's, after he looked at it and saw what was happening with the soil and so forth, one year he said, okay, we're not going to put it on. And they didn't put any P and K on, and the crop that they were raising on that farm that year was sugar beets. Well, nobody thinked about not putting P and K on sugar beets. He uh, left the P and K off, and he said, the highest yield we've ever made and the highest sugar content. And he said, people say you can't get the highest yield and the highest sugar content. If your yield goes higher, the sugar goes down. He said, our sugar went up and our yields went up. Well, the next year, the soil test still showed he had too much. And I said, you know, you still have too much. You, you shouldn't put anything on. It's going to hurt you rather than help you. Put a long story short, it was seven years until we told him on some parts of that farm he needed to start putting potassium on to stay at the high side of excellent. It wasn't even a matter to just make the crop. I said, if you want to stay up on where everything's at the best, then now you need to put on some potassium. It was 10 years before the bulk of the farm needed any P or K. He grew 10 crops without any P and K. And he still just now got to the point where uh, he was at the high side of excellence. I said, you're going to keep having excellent crops, but, you know, you could skip a year or whatever. But if you want to stay up at the high side, this is the time to start putting your fertilizer on. Well, the next year he retired and his son got it. And we made the, they did the test. We made the recommendations. But his son was in business. He never really concentrated on agriculture. He, he was running their other businesses and so forth. And he said, he didn't say it to me. He said it to his farm manager. He said, look, we haven't put on any phosphorus or potassium all these years. We can make a good crop. We're making good crops without it. So I'm not going to put it on. Well, he didn't put it on. He made a good crop, too. He made a good crop for another five years. And then all of a sudden, the yield went down. And instead of uh, looking back and saying, well, we, you know, we got in trouble. Oh, after that. After that year that they didn't put it on, he didn't use us anymore. He didn't run any more soil tests with us. He started using somebody close by. Well, uh, they didn't put anything on for five more years, and then they had a crop failure, and they said, oh, it was Neil Kinsey and his Albrecht program. They ruined our, they ruined our farm. The point being, for ten, it, there were 10 years there that the soil test said they didn't need anything, and they made excellent crops. 
but you got to know what those numbers mean. Speaking of what the numbers mean, what do you look for first in an analysis whenever you get the soil test, the toil, the soil test back? Well, on the test that we use, there is actually for most of the elements, there's actually a... uh, a guideline that we have as to what it should be. For example, on phosphorus, it shows what the minimum desired value should be. Now, depending on which test you have us do, uh, we, the the test doesn't always just show minimum desired value. Sometimes if somebody tells us, and not sometimes, when someone tells us they're going to use compost or manures, what we do then is change that value, not to the minimum desired value, but to the maximum it can be so that we don't scare them off from trying to use compost or manure until that number gets up to that high side. So uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to emphasize here is we give guidelines on the soil test as to what those numbers should be in specifically for calcium, magnesium, potassium, sodium, and phosphorus. Now, the other numbers are there, and we actually teach what those numbers should be, but that, those numbers will vary depending on uh, what crop you're growing and weather conditions and so forth. So we don't try to make everybody think, oh, you're gonna, you need this much or else you're going to have a crop failure. Because a lot of people look at what those numbers are on the soil test and they think, well, if I don't have that much, I can't make a crop this year. Mm-hmm. Well, also, there's more to it than just looking at the nutrient, too. Like, we first established, like, nutrient needs. Some of them are just crop-specific. And some of them are soil specific. So whenever you're determining, you look at a soil test after you get it back, what are you looking at first? You're looking at, okay, this is the crop that I want to grow, and here's the soil conditions that it's currently at, and here is the nutrient holding capacity. So for me personally, I look at the exchange capacity first. Like, I think that that's the gauge, the, the correct gauge to utilize, okay, and it switches your brain into thinking, okay, this is what I need to do first. if I have to correct this. Then I look at the crop and then say, oh, okay, well, here's the crop that's going to be grown in this growing medium. How can I efficiently and effectively grow that crop in this, in this condition or make it start beginning to correct that condition to make it an ideal condition for that crop? Well, it is true that we need to know the exchange capacity first because that's measuring how much what do we have do we have a cup or do we have a bucket or do we have a barrel that's uh, we got to fill up and those percentages then i mean those the, the pounds tell us how to get the right percentages that's why we need to know the size of the holding capacity because whether we're at a whether we're at a, a, a sandy loam or a real heavy clay we still need 2% potassium or else we're not going to get the uptake of the nutrient into the plant. Mm. Uh, Just putting on pounds doesn't make all the difference. But the other side of that is looking at calcium, for example. If we look at calcium, calcium is the the first key to having, having enough calcium is the first key to making sure we have the right physical structure in the soil. So when it comes to soil, calcium, magnesium make a tremendous difference and they take precedence. But when it comes to feeding the plant, then nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur will take precedence over the calcium and magnesium in most cases. Uh, yeah, I, I remember hearing Dr. Albrecht had said that 
all nutrients right on the back of calcium, though, so there is a benefit to having at least some form of calcium out there in the root zone to be able to get those nutrients in as well. There is always a benefit to having the right amount of calcium. Uh, if you don't have the right amount of calcium, how soon can you get that right amount out there? Well, it depends on how bad off it may be. But one thing that you can always be sure of, if you don't, have, if you don't use enough nitrogen or phosphorus or potassium or sulfur, you're not going to get the yields. So what's the farmer going to be first concerned about? Well, how do I get the yield this year? Now, if we can get him to put the lime on in the fall, we've won that calcium We've won that calcium battle real quick. Mm -hmm. But if if it's already springtime and he's getting ready to plant, now now what do we look at? Well, uh, can we get that calcium on fast enough to work? I feel like calcium works a whole lot faster than most people give it credit. Uh, that's another that's another uh, podcast as well. Yeah. But, uh, we, we'll get we'll get to those things. But right now, in terms of a soil test, to me. A soil test is what helps you see you're on the right path. If, you're, if your tests are something that really can measure, and just for example, we haven't talked about micronutrients in a soil test, but Dr. Albrecht designed the soil test that he uses so that if, you, if the test shows you need a pound of something and you put that pound on, then you're going to get the results and say, if it shows, hey, you need 10 pounds in order to have enough there just to grow a crop. If you put 10 pounds on there, then the next time you do that, if you use a form that really is available, the next time you sample that test, you ought to see the numbers going up and not only going up, but going up on a pound for pound basis. The thing that throws that stuff off there is, yes, it goes up on a measurable basis, but Iron and manganese and, and uh, copper go up over a 12-month period. Whatever you put on it, I'll show in terms of iron and manganese and uh, boron. Well, boron leaches away. So iron and manganese, those two will show a pound-for-pound pound increase, should show a pound-for-pound pound increase for what you put on. But when you look at copper, Copper only shows about a quarter of a pound increase for every pound you put on because it's not as soluble as the others. And when you look at zinc, you get half the zinc you put on showing, you should have half of what you put on show up in 12 months and the other half in 24 months. But it is a thing that you can measure over and over and over again, whereas when, uh, on, on many soil tests, you can't get a pound for pound response. Even you can't you can't figure out what what kind of response you're getting because they don't really measure it in that way. They're measuring too many situations, and I don't want to put everybody in the same basket. But in too many cases, it's like one lab chemist told me once. He said, "We're not measuring to measure how many pounds it takes. We're trying to measure quick and something to get a quick answer and get it back to the farmer. They want." They want a fast answer, and they want a low-priced answer. If we did it the way you do it, it's going to cost us a whole lot more money. Well, what's, what's the right answer? Give a quick answer that doesn't cost so much, or give a, an answer that costs more, but at least you can use that to, to tell whether you need it or not. I'll play devil's advocate for a second on the pound-for-pound pound thing. Is that... That's assuming 100% efficiency out of your fertilizers, though, right? If you have, like, a dry year or you're not irrigating or something and 
none of the microbiology can't convert it, then you're not technically going to get that same pound for pound response within that season, right? In terms of a pound for pound response, you're not going to get that response if you don't have enough moisture. You may not get that response if you have too much moisture. Uh, as, but also, you're not going to get that response if you don't have the other things that are necessary there. For example, if we come in there and put on manganese, but we put on a lot of lime, that's going to, the, 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 the calcium that goes up is actually going to affect the availability of the manganese we're putting on. If we put on limestone first and come in and put iron on, that iron not going to show up at all because it'll tie up in, on the uh, on the limestone itself. So, all there are other things, but when we use it properly, and we get enough, so that if we've got enough moisture, we can grow a crop. We got enough moisture that 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 material will show up in the soil as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just trying to put an idea out there that you know, there are certain things that can prevent you from getting that one hundred percent efficiency out of your fertilizers too but we can also talk about that at some other point too but i just wanted to make it known that even with liming and things like that it it's hard to get 100 percent efficiency even with the calcium magnesium we expect oh well those interactions should be a one percent to one percent talking about base saturation changes that calcium should mask that magnesium but there's other things that could be utilized from that calcium addition uh, rather than masking or doing what we're expecting it to do. So it's, it's hard. Uh, nature is very varied. <laughs> it is varied, but I would say it's harder to measure the, because of the amounts that it takes in terms of calcium and magnesium and the amounts it takes in terms of micronutrients. It's a lot harder to try to get those calcium. The calcium and magnesium is the one you've got to pay a whole lot closer attention to whereas with the uh, micronutrients if you can get the materials on there they may not be exact but they're going to come out close uh, unless you have some something that's affecting it and an in, inordinate amount of something that's causing a problem there yeah either excesses or even deficiencies in uh interacting nutrient yeah. or an antagonistic uh nutrient or even synergetic sometimes if well, they're bonding take, together let's take another example let's take boron boron we say okay well we need to put boron on but do we always get that boron into the plant if there's not enough calcium there we're not going to get it in mm -hmm. but then on the other side we say well we need calcium in the plant and calcium, get, you mentioned, uh, we say, well, calcium gets all the other nutrients into the plant. Well, it does, but it doesn't get itself in. How does calcium get in? Well, the boron gets it in. If we don't have enough boron there, we can have plenty of calcium in the soil and still have a calcium deficiency in the plant. Mm -hmm. So, again, it, it all, it, it's all an interworking. And so just saying, well, just put it on, it's going to work. Uh, if you put it on, it's going to work, provided you don't do something else or, or provided you've done the things that are necessary to get that soil to perform properly. And it sounds like we're off on another tangent, but really <laughs> all that is at the end of the day is saying with the proper soil test and correct soil testing methods, then we can arrive at a conclusion that helps us understand these different interactions effectively. And there are they're, when you start looking at, at what we're saying and you, somebody says, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Well, first of all, go back and find out what's the reason it didn't work because 
time after time, what you'll find is there is a good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just got to pay attention to what, you know, what else did we do or not do? Yeah. It also, I think that soil testing also helps with your management decisions like that too. Uh, I've actually had clients <laughs> do this and that is we'd go along, we're putting on the nutrients and so forth. And some year the prices go way up or the, or, or for the fertilizer or the prices go way down for the crop. And I had one farmer come to me and he said, if I don't need it, don't tell me to put it on. If I can grow this crop and still make the yield, don't tell me to put it on. I want to, I, this year I want to just put on what we have to do to make the crop because of the price or whatever it may be. And you can, from a good soil test, you can tell a person to, that they can do that or not. But uh, there are an awful lot of people that will just say, well, it's a bad year. I'm just going to cut this out. Well, you can tell which fields you, it's a, good to cut and which fields it isn't if you've got a soil test to show you what you need and what you really don't need mm-hmm. yeah it uh i think that there's just multiple benefits to it i i just think uh obviously i'm a little biased whenever it comes to soil testing because it's kind of what we do and that's our profession but when I, I just can't think of anything else to begin laying a foundational data point for understanding what is happening with your plants because it is the home like those plants are the children of this earth basically of the soil and what we're doing directly affects that well every decision that we make to do anything to the soil is going to change those plants and that microbiology directly and so the better we can understand what's happening beneath our feet the better we can understand what's happening above it you know we look too much above our feet whenever we should be looking what's below and to me when you start looking at it uh, how why should a farmer trust what we say any more than anybody else well what i tell everybody is and we mentioned it earlier test your soil tester but uh, i've actually had people that will would pull samples and say okay i'm sending them to you and i've got number one two three four tell me which ones are good and which ones are bad and why and if you got a, if the soil test is a good representative soil test, which we're planning on talking about next episode, if it's a if it's a if it's done properly, then we ought to be able to say, all right, this is good. This area is a good area. This area is a poor area, and be able to pick those out for good solid reasons just by looking at the nutrients. Never being there to look at the crop, but just looking at what that shows on paper. To me, that's what really proves whether a soil test is worth its salt or not. When you can pick out the bad areas and the good ones and tell somebody why without ever seeing what the crops look like there. So, yeah, I know we got off on a few different little subtopics and sub-sub-subtopics. That's always going to happen. uh, Yeah, (laughs) but, you know, in the end of the day, yeah, we just hope that this was uh, inspiring a little bit and give everybody kind of an understanding of our, our way of thinking, our line of thinking and you trying know what I'm to... I'm hoping it'll do? Uh, I'm hoping it will get people to think. Soil testing is important enough that I really need to know how to do it properly mm-hmm. and not just go out there and be helter-skelter about it because the, what, what we tell you to do from a soil test is only as good as how well that soil test is pulled. Yeah. And that's what we'll be talking about next. And I think it's an opportunity, too, because if the grower, if we start 
educating them on what's happening, maybe they get inspired to understand what's happening in their own field. And the better that they're educated, then the better management decisions that they can make from that as well and actually probably save money instead of just pulling a sample, sending it into a lab, getting it tested, getting an answer back, and then they just blindly follow it. It's a lot better to understand. And that's kind of the point that we're doing these podcasts is to try and help educate people and inspire them to look a little deeper than what they're used to doing. Absolutely. Education is the key and not only education to those of us that are doing it, but education to the point that that we can educate the next generation that's doing it or right. whatever. Exactly. And that, that's the important thing is to keep that knowledge uh useful and and how do you how how is it that you can use it Mm -hmm. yeah um hope everybody got a little bit of something out of this i know uh i always do just revisiting all these different topics is nothing short of fun for me and uh, one other thing that i'm looking forward to i mean we're talking about why the soil test now but uh, one of these times i'm looking forward to just taking soil test and put it up there and go down go down through all the terms and so forth and say mm-hmm. you know well this is what this does this is why we need to know this and so forth well, might take a while but i yeah. think we'll get there yeah we might need about uh two <laughs> two or three episodes for that one just on one one nutrient but we will get to the nutrients and that's probably yes, the best best time to do that is just after we get through all these basics and then go down into the the nitty gritty but hope everybody got a uh, little bit more inspired and learned a little bit of something if you have any feedback or anything just uh give us a email or a call uh, we're always available to answer questions uh if one arises and then uh i keep saying uh well uh how do i want to wrap it up See you around the bend. (laughs) See you around the bend. Let it be that and be done with it.